Genesis 22. Uh, we finished up last week with chapter 19. We talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. And a lot has happened in chapter 20 and 21. Uh, the uh, Ishmael has grown up. Uh, Sarah got very upset that, about this other child that she's the one that promoted. But anyway, Ishmael uh, gets thrown out of the camp. And Isaac is born. And so you get this idea that just a short period of time has taken place. In fact, if you've got a children's Bible, you probably have a picture of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And Isaac looks like he's a 10 or 12 year old boy, right? No chance. All right. Um, more than likely, the rabbis say he was between 29 and 37. Now, based on the rest of the story... I propose to you that he was 33. Does that mean that number mean anything to you? Yeah, that's how old Jesus was when he was crucified. When I get done with this story, I'll show you why I think he was 33 years old. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word, we'll read this story. I'm going to add a few things as we go. Uh, but I want you to understand that Isaac is a grown man. That's what I want you to understand. And Isaac is the child of the promise. It said sometime later, okay, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, <coughs> and Abraham said, here I am. Now I want to point this out. Because in Isaiah, we see the same phrase. Isaiah 6 verse 8, God says to Isaiah, who will go for me and who will speak for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Abraham, same statement. But what you will miss if you don't pay attention is it was not in a gathering like this. It's not like God says, okay, who's going who's gonna to go for me? And you're looking around going, dude, I hope that guy over there raises his hand. Because I don't want to be that one. In both situations, God is speaking man to man. Because when God speaks to you, he doesn't speak to a crowd. He speaks to us individually. He calls out to Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Now, wait a minute. What about Ishmael? He's got another son. The word is very specific here. This phrase, only son, means the heir of the promise and the one you love. Very specific wording. And whom you love and you go to the region of Moriah. That's in Jerusalem. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. There's the donkey. He took him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, does that phrase ring a bell? On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now listen to this phrase. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I really believe that God had given Abraham a vision and he believed that Isaac would be resurrected from the dead. That's what I think. That he, he, he said, because I know this, my son's the son of the promise. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. You know any other story where wood was putting on some, put on somebody's back? Mm. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, 
Isaac spoke up and he said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. A lot of tension here. The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, the Hebrew phrase here is Jehovah Jireh. If you're into the Hebrew names of God. He literally said, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Isaac's now tied up on the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, personal, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your one and only son, the child of the promise. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide, but don't miss this one. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, here it is, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You can be seated. All right. So Abraham and Isaac live in a city of Hebron, south of Jerusalem, still there. And it's about a three-day trip if you're traveling by donkey. And on the third day, they got to where they could see the mountains of Moriah. Now, my first trip into Jerusalem, we go and we have lunch at this restaurant. And after we eat, the guy takes us outside and there's just a little overlook. And he goes, I want you to stand here and look that way. And we did. And I go, okay. He said, this is the only spot coming from the south that you can see the mountains of Moriah. Abraham would have had to have been standing right here. It is the only spot you can see the mountain. But see, it's not the first time Abraham's been to this mountain. Do you remember early on when Abraham went to rescue Lot? He went up north because Lot got kidnapped, his nephew. And he brings him back and he stops in Jerusalem because he's, he meets a guy named Melchizedek, the king of Jerusalem, the king of peace. And he offers sacrifices and they have communion together. And Abraham gives him a tithe of all the offerings. And we talked about how that's probably Jesus, that he met Jesus where God lives in flesh on this in, on this world that he lives in Jerusalem. So Abraham knows this mountain well. But all these stories, three days, Isaac's going to have wood on his back. I think probably Isaac took the same path up the mountain. Even if you just Google, you're welcome to Google it. Even secular sources will tell you that Mount Moriah is Gethsemane. It is the very same mountain. What happened on that mountain? 
Good question. That is the place where God created Adam, formed him out of dust. It's where God breathed life into Adam. It's the place where Adam's buried. It's the place where Abraham and Isaac are, and it is the very place where Jesus will be crucified. And I think Abraham got to see all that. I think the discussion between Abraham and God on that three-day journey is they're processing this whole thing. Because Abraham knows when he gets there, what's going to happen. We're going to go up and we're going to come down. He doesn't have any idea how God's going to do it. And then don't miss this. He said the Lord will provide. He said the Lord will provide what? Come on. A lamb. But what does Abraham find? A ram. You're welcome to look, but they're not the same. So the ram was sacrificed. John the Baptist later, 2,000 years later, would say of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then after this whole story's over, after... The, the exchange has been made and the ram was sacrificed in place of Isaac. And they're getting ready to leave. Moses is the one that wrote this down. So at the end of the story, Moses said, and to this day. Okay, so now we're in Moses' day. So we've gone from 2000 B.C. to 1450 B.C. And Moses said, to this day it is said that on this mountain the Lord will provide. So we look back. They're looking forward. They're looking forward. They, they know Adam and they're looking, they're looking at what's happening now and they're looking forward to Jesus. But we get to look back through 6,000 years of history and we get to see Jesus and Abraham and Adam and watch the whole story unfold on that very same mountain. Do you think God was trying to get our attention? What an incredible story that is unfolding here in front of us. And then we find out that Isaac is bound. What's the deal with that? Well, there's no real answer. Except that the rabbis say that Isaac asked to be bound with the ropes. All right, Because no matter how you cut this, at this point, Abraham's 133 and Isaac's 33. Just using my numbers. Do you think if you're 33, you could outrun the 133-year-old? Do you think you could overpower him? Could you take the knife from him? The rabbis say that Isaac insisted that he be tied up because he was afraid that he would fail. That he would be the one to chicken out, not dad. That Isaac was afraid and he said, dad, tie me up. So that I won't be able to mess up God's plan. Because think about this. Since the day Isaac was born. 33 years if I'm right. Since the day Isaac was born. They've told him. Isaac you're the son of the promise. We're not completely sure what it means. But it would seem that the savior of the world. Is going to come through your lineage son. And your whole life you've heard that. Isaac, you're the son of the promise. You're the heir. You're the one that, that the Messiah is going to come. And Isaac knows he can't mess this up. You give Isaac a lot of credit here. Do you know on the cross, Jesus was tied to the cross? You don't see that in a whole lot of the pictures. The Romans were after maximum pain and embarrassment, always humiliation. 
But obviously, the old pictures, they have the nails going in the hands. Well, that won't work at all. You just rip them, rip it right out. And we know that because we found crucified bones that they went in here. But even there, the pressure will eventually rip it out. So they took ropes and they would tie them. Jesus would have been laying on the ground and they would have tied Jesus to the wood and they tie it just enough so you get maximum pain of the nails, but not so much that you can't, it won't rip out. The ropes would catch you. So Jesus is tied with ropes to the wood. Does that sound familiar to you? Wow. So what are we supposed to learn from all this? Good question. Okay. Number one, <clears throat> we, want to, we want to focus on staying tuned to what God's doing. Now, most of us don't like waiting 30 seconds. All right? I was in the back trying to get tea before service, and I had to wait for the carrig to warm up. Are you kidding me? Let's go. Let's go. Uh, we don't have time for this. I've got breakfast cooking, I've got tea going, and I've got ice being made, and I want it all done in 30 seconds. We don't have 50 years. Are you kidding me? Abraham and Sarah have to wait 20 years for the baby. And then 33 years pass and nothing happens. Nothing happens. They're just living life. But we get upset when we pray twice and God doesn't solve the problem. Do you realize that your prayers may not be answered till long after you're gone? They may be answered now, but they may not. Some of your prayers may get answered no here and you'll find out in heaven that it was really a yes. But we want to rush every decision. None of us is any good at this whole idea of being patient with God. And see, in the old days, now you young people aren't going to understand this because you get in your car and you push a button and it plays music off your phone. Or it just hits, a, you hit a button and it plays whatever you want. In the old days, we had to tune in radio stations. Am I right, old people? You see, Z88.3 is a frequency. You don't just hit a button. It's a frequency. And if you're turning the dial and you go to 88.5, you're not going to get it. Or if you do get it, it won't sound very good. You have to get the frequency exactly. And there was no digital stuff. Am I right, people? You hunted it down. You just twisted that knob until you hunted down the right frequency. You got to stay tuned to what God's doing. And in a world where there's more false teaching than ever in the history of the world, you have got to stay tuned to God's word. You've got to, it doesn't matter what Joe says or, or Cord says or, or Cliff or anybody else. What does the word say? And you got to keep going back to that. Now, here's a statement. Let me show you this statement. This is where a lot of people are about right and wrong. All right, we'll do the leadership one first. I should have said, no, let's go ahead. Leadership is a privilege. When you're in a leadership role, which all of us are, your influence may affect the trajectories of someone else's entire career and often their lives. And I'll put one more statement there. How about their eternal destinies? All on the line by how we choose to live our life. But here's the opposite of that. Here's, here's where a lot of people are today. Truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. Now, let me tell you how this is playing out. 
All right? And if you've used this argument, I hope I get you to rethink some things. See, I know the Bible says you shouldn't kill. Right? We all agree with that? Okay. But I have an uncle who killed a guy, and he's a really nice guy. So therefore, I conclude that the Bible is wrong. Does that make sense to you? No. But that's how most people make spiritual decisions. I see what the Bible says about sexuality. I see what the Bible says about alcohol. I see what the Bible says. But some of my best friends sleep around with all kinds of people and they're wonderful neighbors. I never said they weren't wonderful neighbors. But that doesn't mean they know Jesus. And it doesn't mean that they're going to go to heaven. See, the Bible is very clear, and it's not some story that we have. Well, I know a real nice guy who has hurt a lot of people. But man, is he sweet. No, that does not change the word of God. Is the Bible true? Okay, then your own little stories that you have do not change the Bible. Now, it might make you go, man, I... I wish, I wish I could be as nice as some of these people that are, that are in this other situation, but it doesn't change the truth of the Bible. And that's where so many people struggle. Well, I have a friend who does this, and you're telling me he's not going to heaven? No, I'm not telling you that. The Bible is. Because it doesn't matter what I have to say. So you need to stay tuned to what God is trying to accomplish. Secondly, you do obey according to God's word. What if Abraham says, hey, <clears throat> I'll obey, but why go to Jerusalem? I'll just do it here in Hebron. I'll obey, but I don't need wood. I'll obey, but no ropes. I'll obey, but I'll take Ishmael instead of Isaac. I think a lot of times that's how we process. God, I know what you want me to do. But I'm going to do this. And then we get mad at God when things don't work out the way we wanted because we never obeyed according to Scripture. Jesus said this in John 15. Jesus said, if you remain in me, I'll remain in you and you will produce much fruit. Much fruit. Now, people want to argue with me about this and they're just dead wrong. Um, they say, oh, that fruit is uh, love, joy, peace, patience. No, it's not. Much fruit. What would Jesus expect from a Christian? If he planted a Christian, he'd expect to get another Christian. If I planted an apple tree, I'd expect to get... Yeah, if I wanted a shade tree, I'd have planted a shade tree. But if I wanted apples, I'd plant an apple tree. And if I didn't get apples off the apple tree, what I'd do, I'd cut it down. Jesus said, if you don't produce fruit, I'll cut the branch off. You want to know why churches are dying? You want to know why Christians are walking away from their faith? Because somewhere along the line, they quit producing fruit. Now, there's a lot of ways to produce fruit. You can invite friends. You can talk to friends. You can bring friends with you to events. You can specifically share the gospel with people. You can buy donkeys and wait till we get to heaven and meet some of the fruit. But every Christian is meant to be bearing fruit. And Jesus said, if not, I will cut you off. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it says. Exodus 19. Moses said, now if you obey me fully. Say that word, fully. If you, if you obey me 
if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, he's speaking to Israel, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Because the Messiah is going to come through the line of Israel. He said, if you guys are faithful, you will be my treasured possession. But it's all about fully obeying God's plan. Here's a picture of Ramses II. I just want to show you about people when they try to usurp God's plan. Okay, Now, Ramses II, there's, there's far more Ramses II statues than there are people sitting in this room. Uh, Ramses had a mighty big ego. But this is one of the largest statues ever made of the man. Tried to give you an idea by having a man there just to show you the scale of this thing. If I was standing at the head, we've only got two-thirds of it now. The bottom's broken off, but it would go all the way to the back wall. And this statue lays in Memphis. Memphis was the capital of Ramses II in Egypt. And it's either Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Feel free to figure out which prophet it was. But they prophesied that God was going to bring judgment on Memphis. Now this is like, would be like Washington DC today. And God said Memphis is going to be wiped clean and nobody will ever be here again. And you go to Memphis today, 3300 years later, and there are goats living in Memphis. Where the entire capital of Egypt used to be, there's just a herd of goats and that statue of Ramses, we found it in 1820. Well, not we, I wasn't there. But in 1820, they found that statue of Ramses, the biggest thing that you've ever seen, laying face down in the mud in the bottom of a river. Do you think maybe God was making a statement about fulfilling his scripture? And to this day, there is nothing there, the vastness of the building of Egypt and that little section is just empty with goats running around. And then the last application is don't ever hold anything back from God. Why did God praise Abraham? He said, because you didn't withhold anything from me. Not even your one and only son. The son that you knew was the son of the promise. The one you'd waited a hundred years for, you didn't keep him back. And here's how we do it. God, you can have my money, but you can't have my marriage. I'm going to do my marriage my way. God, you can have my time, but you can't have my singleness. God, you can have some time at church, but you can't have my sexuality. No, you and I don't get to decide. Abraham was blessed. And actually, all of us, the whole world, Abraham said, God told Abraham, the whole world will be blessed, Abraham, because you did not withhold from me. What is it that you're withholding from God? Say, God, this really belongs to you. And I've got to stop holding on to it and doing it my way. I'll finish with this. This is a picture from uh, the London Marathon a couple weeks ago. I don't know the guy's name. It didn't, it didn't give it. <clears throat> but this guy, this guy had no intentions of winning the race. Shouldn't even have been in the race. But he had a plan. <clears throat> he started in the very back because he's a nobody. He was, you know, they put real runners up front. And the recreational people are in the back. But when they, when they dropped the, the uh, when they shot the gun to take off, he sprinted, full sprint to get to the front of the race for this picture. 
He was in front for 10 seconds. And he said, all I wanted was to be able to say that I led the London Marathon. And there's the picture to prove it. And I thought, is that not a picture of most people's lives today? You'll sacrifice eternity for 10 seconds of fame. Just for that picture, just for my one moment up front. Just, just for that one shot at making the cover. What are you willing to sacrifice? And Abraham realized, no, what I've got to do is obey God. So Father, as we think about this, I have no idea whether we're not being patient with you, if we're not trusting you, if we're holding things back from you. If until now we didn't really believe the whole story about Jesus, we didn't realize how incredible this book is and the story is. So Lord, I, I just pray, whether people are watching online or they're here in the room, that this will be the day of salvation, that they'll be at Tom Rennick Park and they'll say, today's my day. Today's my day to obey God. And whatever we've been withholding from you, Instead of being proud about what we're giving, that we show up with what we've been withholding and say, God, let's fix this too. In Jesus' name, amen.